Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Today is a very special day as we uh, come together and we're able to celebrate what we call Holy Communion. And so I'm excited to be able to be here with you all to be able to do this. Um, And before we begin, obviously our hearts are with um, our Bahamian friends uh, that are right now dealing with a Category 5 storm uh, that is absolutely just um, unbelievable. And so as we go throughout our day, I want to encourage our church family to be uh, just continuous in your prayers uh, for them and obviously in preparation uh, possibly for impacts of the storm this week uh, for you to be stay close to our church office and in any way that we can be of help or assistance. Um, but we're praying just along with you. As you noticed above, uh, we are at eye magnification today. And the reason for that is we've tried for a long time to get the back two rows to finally move up front. And we've given up. And so we figured we'll just go ahead and put my big face on the screen to make it a little bit easier for you to see. So you win. There you go. Um, in order to begin today, um, I'm reminded of a story from back when I was growing up in Melrose Park, Illinois. And uh, I lived on one block. And uh, on that block, my house sat. And uh, I lived in a time where uh, as long as you got home before dark, uh, you were okay. And then if it was getting a little bit too dark, um, the way that you knew it was time to come home is my dad, who is Italian and a Marine, uh, he would let out the loudest whistle you could imagine, and you could hear it from that square block. And that's when I knew I'm in big trouble. I better hurry up and get home. Well, uh, in the middle of that block was an alley. And there, an alley is, uh, separates houses. We don't have a lot of those nowadays, but in a lot of your suburbs and, and some of your bigger cities, you have a, a block with an alleyway that your garbage cans would sit at and everything else. But to us kids, the alley was a racetrack. Um, it was straight through the neighborhood. And uh, my brother and I, we used to use that all the time to be able to race. Well, I had a bike called a Huffy. You guys remember a Huffy bike? Yeah, oh, yeah they were the best. And uh, my brother had one too. And so he decided one day, he's two, two years older than me, and he decided to have a massive race. But in order to make it more professional, he wanted to create a finish line. So he, he took a rope and he tied it very loosely to a couple of the fences on either side of the alley, and it draped across the alleyway. And then my brother and I, we went to the end of the uh, alleyway, and we were going to begin. And now my brother always beat me, um, but not this time. And so as we went ahead and we said, ready, set, go, I took off and he skidded out and I got a head start on him and I was so excited. And now just to preface this, when my brother set the finish line up, he, he kind of went up to it, got on his bike and he put the finish line up to his chest. So that way, you know, when, when, when he won and crossed, it would hit his chest and he would be the victor. Well, I'm two years younger than my brother. And as I'm riding my bike, I'm noticing something in the distance. That finish line looks a little low. Because for me, the finish line didn't go to my chest, it went to my neck. And so as I'm racing toward it, I'm beating my brother, I'm really excited and I'm like, well, it's not going to be that bad because it's going to break apart and everything else. Well, that didn't happen. I hit the finish line and went across my neck. It yanked me full speed off my bike, gave me a rope burn across my neck and I hit the alley. And if you know alleys, they're made of asphalt. And uh, so I skidded both my arms, my knees, my legs, road rash everywhere. It was terrible. And I'll never forget because my brother, my brother then crossed the finish line after I supposedly did. And he goes, I win. Now I'm in a lot of pain, but I heard that. And I said, oh, I won. And he says, nope. He said, you didn't make it across the finish line. You got, you got decapitated by it. 
So my brother comes over, and, and like anything, we don't want to get in trouble, and so we're trying to deal with my wounds in the alley, and I'm screaming and writhing in pain, and finally my brother gives up and realizes, this is serious. So he calls my mom. My mom comes out. She's hysterical. She picks me up off the ground and, and kind of carries me in the house. Now, here's the thing. Now, if you're under the age of about 30 or 35, um, back during this time, they, uh, for all of us that had wounds, they had um, this mixture. And, they, and you, you might not know this, but these mixtures that, that we would all participate in, they were called tinctures. Now, let me give you the definition, and I'm going to explain it. A tincture is a concentrated liquid herbal extract. It is typically made by soaking herbs and other plant parts into alcohol for weeks to extract the active constituents. So, a lot of us during this time, we had these tinctures. And there was alcohol-based tinctures, and then there was even mercury-based tinctures. In fact, a lot of you are sitting there saying, what are you talking about? Well, if you ever grew up during my time, it looked like this. Do you remember Mercurochrome? Oh, now the light bulbs are going on. Then it also looked like this. And what would happen is, is that you would have your parent, they would take an eyedropper and they would take some of the Mercurochrome and it was a bunch of elixirs and plants and it would steep in alcohol and mercury. Now, by the way, they won't let you throw out mercury-based anything in your garbage can, yet we were putting it in our bodies. Really good. Um, So they would take this and then two things would happen. We as kids were scared to death because on the wound that we had, we knew that as soon as that mercurochrome mixture would hit our skin, what would happen? Burned like crazy. And what did our parents say to us? That's good. It means it's killing the germs. We didn't know anything during that time. And so they would take it. And to us kids, we were like, ah, and it would burn. But our parents would say there has to be pain because when you feel the pain, that means it's working. Us as kids would look and we would see this stain on our skin and that would mean to us, okay, it's covered with this magic orange paste and, and, and it's, it's getting better. Now later on they realized mercury could kill you and so they took the mercury out and they, we started using this. Do you remember Bactine? Oh, oh yeah, they still use it. Some of you still use it. And Bactine Max. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. But tinctures have been around for ages. Um, they have used tinctures as these herbal mixtures and they use preservatives to be able to do it. But that was healing. That was healing properties for the body. Now, this is not just today's day and age. Did you know that throughout history, there have been beliefs that tinctures could heal the body? And in our Christianity... Communion has that same effect, maybe in a different way, but there was a belief in the sacredness of communion and the effects that it would have. Much so that, did you know this, that in the first, second, third, fourth centuries, many people, they would receive their last rites, if you've ever heard that term before. And that last rites is a combination of that idealing of that healing properties that you would receive. But something happened in the fourth century. In the 4th century, um, communion was being served, and you need two elements for communion, right? You need the bread and you need the wine. Well, there was famine in the land in the 4th century, and wine became scarce throughout Europe. And so all of a sudden, the churches were faced with a very tough decision because they wanted to continue to celebrate um, communion. 
but they had to figure out ways in which they could do so, um, utilizing wine in a different fashion. And so because of scarcity, they began to change the way that they used communion. They also found this in the 4th century, that individuals that were close to death were having a hard time swallowing. And so to perform last rites to an individual at that time, they had to figure out a way to be able to soften the bread so that they could receive communion. And the way that they used to do this is they decided at that time, and they made it allowable in the church in the 4th century to take bread and to dip it into the wine. Now, dipping it in the wine would mean that you would receive the body and the blood of Christ in one act, but that it would moisten the breath to such a point where you could receive the healing properties from Christ's forgiveness. This act is called intinction. And intinction is the dipping of bread into wine for consumption. Now, did you know that it is celebrated in some liturgical churches even today? Now, go ahead and Google it if you want, and you'll find a fascinating argument of why intention is not good and everything else, germs and all that other stuff. I would not be a good candidate because I am a germaphobe, so that would not be good for me. But the whole reason for that is for the bread to be able to be stained with the blood of Christ and to be able to be seen in such a fashion for the healing properties. Now, the reason why I bring that up and share that with you today is in just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together as a body. But I want you to be able to receive it in such a different form or fashion that it really changes the way that you view communion. If you've been a part of our church, you know every time we celebrate communion, I try my best to be able to have you look at it in a different fashion so that you truly can celebrate what communion truly represents. So I want you to see what Jesus had to say. And if you're not a Christian in this room, I want you to lean in because you'll learn something about this ordinance that we celebrate in communion. Jesus said this in the book of John. In John 6, 53, so Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did. Even though they ate manna, they will live forever. Now, did you know this? That when Jesus Christ was born in the town of Bethlehem, did you know the name of Bethlehem? Bethlehem basically means house of bread. And so when Jesus Christ came from heaven and was born in Bethlehem, it was the bread of heaven that came down and pierced the darkness and came in. And Jesus Christ looks at all of us and he says, unless you take part in the bread that I offer, you will not have eternal life. That you must consume all of who I am in order for you to have life. In essence, You understand now what intention, you understand why last rites, you understand why that was really important to those throughout history, was because it wasn't just the idea of celebrating what Christ did, it was that symbolic gesture to look at Jesus and say, I am participating and eating the bread and drinking the wine, and because of it, it has healing properties within me. Now here's the beauty and tie it all together. When we in just a moment, celebrate the bread of Christ. Do you know what the bread represents? It represents the brokenness of Christ's body. But did you realize this? At any moment when he was beaten within an inch of his life, at any moment he could have snapped his fingers and he could have said, stop, and he could have walked away. 
But he didn't. He chose to allow his creation to beat him senseless. And the reason why is for us to remember that God humbled himself naked before man so that we would never have a pride in us to believe that we were anything other than a servant of Christ. And so when you receive the bread, there is pain associated with the bread, isn't there? Because our hearts hurt for the pain that he went through, much like when there's a mixture placed on an area of our body as a kid and there's pain, but the pain means there's healing, much like the body of Christ. And then when we have the wine, the juice that we receive, it's that picture of the blood of Christ that covers all of our sin, our sin yesterday, today, and forever. And I want to pause for just a moment. And this wasn't in my notes, but I, I, I really sensed this in the first service and I'd share it with you. There are some in this room that you don't realize it. But when you come in and when we receive communion and the way that we do this is we're going to pray and ask God to examine our hearts and to forgive us of our sin. But some of you in this room have a really hard time forgiving yourself. And you live a life being robbed of God's blessing because you're constantly indicted by the past. And when you do that and when you live a life, and I'm going to come on hard on you, I love you, and I know the struggle you're going through, so this is not me saying fix it, get better. That's not me saying this. But I want you to understand that every time that we are troubled by our past and we hold on to the sin of our past and we refuse to let it go, we neuter what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that he gave, that he gave was powerful. It has the power to cover all sin. And you are never to reach back to your past that you've already asked Christ to forgive you and say, but God, I did this, I did this, and there's no way you could forgive me. When you do that, you neuter what Jesus did on the cross because it was so horrific because he knew that his perfect sacrifice needed to cover even the worst of sins that you could commit. You want to know a sinner? Look at the Apostle Paul. He murdered Christians. And yet Jesus chose him as an incredible tool for his kingdom. So when we receive the body and blood of Christ today, we are to see that wine and see the effect it has on us. And I love this because I want to bring you to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And this is a letter that was written to the church at Corinth. And it explains that when you're a part of Christ, don't miss this, don't miss this, because we as Christians, we come into this room, and as we come into this room, here's what we think. We're going to celebrate communion, isn't it wonderful? And we walk out those doors, and nothing changes. Well, here's the truth. When the disciples gather around Jesus, and they shared that meal together, everything changed after that. Their lives would never be the same when they walked out of that room. And that's the picture of communion for us. That when we finish receiving communion, that our lives are supposed to be so changed by what we've just done that when we go out into the hallways, we go out into our communities, that we are to be different. It's a picture of us consuming all of Christ. And I want you to see the 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thank God He has made us His captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. When we receive the body and blood of Christ, it is 
an amazing aroma of who Christ is in us. And when we leave, others are to see it, smell it, sense it, and be affected by the ordinance of holy communion. God is with us today. Would you pray with me? All heads bowed, eyes closed, and um, if you're not a Christian, I, I would just ask you to just hear the words that I'm about to say. In this room, God, we are all here you, um, with you because two or more gathered, you are present. And God, right now, I thank you for the picture of communion. I thank you for the sacredness of what it means to us. It is more than just a symbol. Is it an opportunity for all of us to remember the power that we have in Christ, the healing power it has for us, physically, spiritually? So in this room, God, there are many of my brothers and sisters in Christ, and right now, Father, there is sin that we have either held on to or sin that we've just committed. And God, right now, I would just say to you, examine our hearts. And God, for the past sins that we hold on to, God, may you convict our heart and may you remind us that your sacrifice was everlasting, that it covered our past sin. And God, may you forgive us of our current sin, cast it as far as the east is from the west, and may we be faithful to repent and turn and go the opposite way. And Father, right now in this room, I lift up, those that might not know today that they have a relationship with you. And if you're in this room and if you are a skeptic or you might not have ever given your life to Christ, but if you'd say, Terry, I don't know everything, but today I want to know that I have a Savior and I want to know that I have eternity. Well, in this room, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. When all eyes closed, heads bowed, and I would just lead you in a prayer and it goes something like this. Dear Jesus, just pray it in the privacy of your heart. Dear Jesus, I don't know everything about you or about Scripture, but I know one thing, that I'm tired of living my life by my choices. And God, right now, I surrender my life to you. God, I just give it to you and I ask that you would make my choices. You would be the one to be able to guide and strengthen me and that I would live my life following your truth and affecting others and sharing about you. God, forgive me of my sin. Thank you that it is forgiven. And today, thank you that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I will spend eternity in heaven. And for those in the room that might not be ready for that, I'm glad you're here. And we're about to participate in a meal that is for the family. It's a meal that represents something that we believe in. And so if you're here today and you don't believe that, then I would never want you to participate in something you're not comfortable with. And so this is a safe place. And as the elements are passed, if you don't want to participate, you just hand the plate next to the person next to you. There's no judgment because we are all sinners in this world. So Heavenly Father, right now, as we begin to receive these elements, I pray that you would be glorified. In just a moment, our servant leaders are going to receive the plates and they will begin to pass them. I would ask that you hold on to the elements and at the end, we will all take them together. Jesus, we love you. In your precious name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.